We have a guest speaker today, all the way from Indiana, PA, actually. Uh, and she hit a whiteout on the way here because the weather's not great today either. She was actually scheduled for last week. And then, of course, we had the snowpocalypse uh, that hit and uh, was state of emergency and all that. So we shifted weeks. And she's here with us this week. Her name is Kim Massingale. And she is the uh, pastor of women at Summit in Indiana. And her husband, his name is Mel. He is a senior pastor there. And they've been there, I found out, five years. Uh, and they, uh, they have an amazing story, the two of them. They have two teenage daughters. One of them is sick with type A flu today, so be praying for her. And uh, so it's just going around. And uh, she also has her Master of Arts in Christian Counseling, specializing in marriage and uh, family therapy as well. Um, she grew up in a church home. And at age 17, her life changed dramatically. Um, got the chance to hear her back in August of last year in Greensburg at one of our Life Choices banquets. And I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. And um, because she has a captivating testimony, and it is a very sensitive testimony, as Marty mentioned earlier. She's not going to get into graphic and gory detail, but her story is one that is very impactful, and it does have some weight to it. So I'm asking you to open your mind, open your heart up to the story she has today, not just a story, but a testimony of how her life changed at age 17. So Kim, would you come up? Would you welcome Kim up this morning? Well, good morning. good morning. So the picture up there, I've lost 40 pounds since that picture. Thank you. I turned 40 last year. Angela, did you turn 40 last year too? Or this year? This year? Last week, that's right. I saw it at some point. Time just flies by. I'm sorry, Angela. I'm a little bit older than you. I turned 40 in August. And um, I still am in denial that I'm 40, but I made it my year of health. And so that picture was taken in April. And I, people in our church literally don't recognize me. Like I walked up to a greeter a few weeks ago who I see every week. And I went to give her a hug and she pushed me back and said, do I know you? <laughs> I was like, I'm your pastor's wife. I'm Kim. And then I turned around to greet another lady who I hug every week. And she said, I'm sorry, honey. I think I'm supposed to know you. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm having an identity crisis right now because no one in this place knows who I am. But I, um, I am thankful for the opportunity to be here with you today. And um, Pastor Brandon, thank you for having me. And I know, um, I know that you don't take lightly entrusting your pulpit with just anyone. And so I, it's an honor to be here. And Angela, I adore and love you and Christy and all of your team. So I, um, I, like Brandon said, I met him after the Life Choices Banquet in Greensburg last year. And he asked me then if I would be willing to come and share my story with you all. And I, of course, said yes, because any time that God opens a door for me to share my story, I walk through it because I know that it's a God thing. 
And uh, just to tell you a little bit about myself, he really memorized my bio quite nicely. I'm impressed by that. <laughs> but um, this September, I will have been married for 20 years, which is, again, I feel like I look 15, right? Tell me I look 15. Um, but, and then I have a 16-year-old daughter who is a year and a half away from going to college. Her name is Abby, and she feels called to be a missionary. And then um, Emma is 13 and is my social butterfly and is in four sports and dance, and um, sh she is my schedule. So this is my family, and I love them so much. I always say that my girls are God's gift of grace and mercy in my life, and I am so grateful for them. Um, we've been in ministry for 20 years this May, and uh, we, I grew up in Texas, and yes, I am a very proud Texan. I didn't realize how proud of a Texan I was till I moved away from Texas to the neighboring rival state of Oklahoma, where my husband is from, and, um, but I refuse to cheer for the OU Sooners even though I live, will not do it. Um, and then we moved here to, um, to PA five years ago, and a lot of my friends and family still think I live in the state of Indiana. It is extremely confusing. <laughs> They're like, do you ever go watch Notre Dame play? I'm like, no, I don't. It's a little far. Um, but like Pastor Brandon said, I do serve as the pastor of women and also I'll oversee all of our small groups. And I love what I get to do because more than anything, I love sharing the hope of Jesus Christ. I love leading people to a Jesus that rescues, that restores, that makes all things new. And so my prayer today is that after you hear my story, you would be reassured that you serve a God. You serve a Father who is so loving and he desires to see everyone come to know him. And also that you would be compelled to see that every life should be valued, that every woman should be set free, and that babies should be saved. Um, and my story, unfortunately, it's not uncommon. I didn't realize that until I started sharing my story, um, but I had never heard a woman's story like this until, honestly, ever, until I started sharing my own. Um, it just wasn't talked about and honestly still isn't. And so I know that many are still shocked by it um, sometimes, especially with me being a lead pastor's wife. People are always kind of taken back like, oh, but I thought you were supposed to be perfect. <laughs> and I think they forget to read scripture that God used very imperfect people, and Jesus chose very imperfect disciples. I'm so thankful for that, but I was a church girl, and I even, I really, really loved Jesus. Like, I, I had a tender heart for the things of God from the time I was very little. I grew up in a very small Assemblies of God church. I went to Assemblies of God school until we moved to a different town when I was nine and um, was put in public school. 
But I had a heart for God. And even at the age of 13 at, at youth camp one summer, I felt like he spoke to me and told me that he had a call on my life and that, um, that I would be in full-time ministry. And um, I was the most unlikely girl to have a story like this. Like literally everybody looked at me and thought, oh, Kim is the goody-goody. Kim is the church girl. My friends were always pushing me to rebel and to, to do things and go to parties. And, and I just, everything within me just didn't want to because I wanted to serve Jesus. I wanted to do the right thing. And um, I was FCA president. Um, I was a student athlete. I was a straight-A student. I was a leader in our youth ministry, which I will be honest, was a youth ministry of about four of us. <laughs> But I was the leader. <laughs> um, I just hope you get the picture that I really, really love Jesus. And at the age of 15, I mean, I just remember like this tug of war, like I so badly wanted to be popular and accepted. And then I so badly wanted to serve Jesus with all my heart, soul, and mind. And um, I started dating a guy who I knew was not a, a believer. He did not follow Jesus. He was very blatant about it. He did not come from a very, very broken background. He, he was, but he was one of the star athletes. And I just felt chosen, I guess, if you would say, that someone like him would pick me to date. And against my parents warnings. I chose to date him anyways. And then a few months after we started dating, they started having a heart for him and kind of took him in as, as their son. And, uh, and I began making choices of compromise with him that I never dreamed I would make because I signed. I don't know. How many of y'all remember True Love Waits? Like, was that a thing up here? Like, purity cards, like I signed a bazillion of those. And it just was something that I, like I knew that I was going to be a virgin on the day I got married. And I um, gave that to him and just really started down a path of destruction in my life. Now, I still wasn't the crazy party girl. I wasn't doing crazy things. He was involved in drugs and I never touched those. Um, but I definitely started making compromises in my life, but literally no one knew. Like, my friends didn't even know. Um, my parents had me on a very, very high pedestal that I was the perfect child, and honestly, they still do at times. Um, it was, I had to live up to this perfect church girl that everybody thought that I was. We dated for about two years, and in January of my senior year of high school, God really convicted us both. My boyfriend came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. He accepted that, and we chose to make a vow of purity, and we did. Um, but I didn't have a period for several um, weeks, and then it turned into months, and I thought, well, that, like can't be happening to me, because <laughs> I'm Kim Franklin at the time. I'm perfect. This kind of stuff happens to the bad girls, not to the church girls. And I, um, 
realized that something wasn't, wasn't right. And I was the kid in ethics class that would debate on pro-life versus pro-choice. I was very quiet. I'm a peacemaker, so I don't get involved in arguments, but I definitely believed in the sanctity of life. But all I can say is the day that I found out that I was pregnant, everything changed. So before I go any further, I just want to say, if you're in the room and you can relate to my story, there is no authority in shame. Shame has no authority on you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. None. Jesus paid the price if you have come to him as your Lord and Savior. And I also want to say that Isaiah 42.3 says, A bruised reed he will not break. So when I'm teaching to women and men, I always say, Jesus only reveals ever to heal. He doesn't ever reveal to shame you. So you can be the woman that has the story similar to me, or you might be the parent that supported it, or you might be the boyfriend that supported it. It affects all of you. And so I just want to say before I go any further that if shame starts to set in, that is not from God. And my prayer today is that you would be restored and you would be healed. So I, um, when I knew that I needed to find out for sure if I was pregnant or not, I asked my youth pastor's wife to get me a pregnancy test. And honestly, I, I knew we were a small enough church and I was close enough to her and she was actually only a few years older than me that I knew she was, I thought she was having an affair. And um, so she wasn't in a good place. And I went to her and asked her for a pregnancy test. And I remember sitting in my home bathroom and it coming back positive. And the only way I can explain it is, it was like this blanket came over me and this fear came over me and the only option in my head was, Kim, you have to abort this baby. Now, that was not Kim Franklin <laughs> because I believed in the sanctity of life. I believed that when conception happens that it's a life right then and all that I know now is that it was the enemy, and he was trying to take me out, and he tried really hard. See, I had known when I found out then that I was supposed to break it off with my boyfriend, even though he had come to know Jesus Christ and we were, we were living a godly life at this time, I knew that I was called to ministry, and I was called to go to Bible college. I had been... Uh, accepted into TCU, into their nursing program. And so I had forgot, um, decided to turn that down and had applied to an Assemblies of God University nearby to pursue um, Christian counseling. And I just, the enemy just started throwing all these lies at me. Like, Kim, when have you ever seen pregnant girls treated nicely in the church? When have, when have you ever seen a pregnant girl at a Bible college? The second they find out that you're pregnant, you'll be kicked out and, and you won't be allowed to come back. You, you won't be able to be in ministry. I mean, just all of these things 
were bombarding me. Kim, you're perfect. You're the one that your parents have on a pedestal. You're the one in the church that everybody thinks is perfect and the goody-goody. Even your friends, your best friends, think that you're the perfect church girl. You have to hide it. And um, I just thought I had to maintain this perfect reputation. I remember telling my mom was the hardest thing in the planet because my mom really is the closest person to Jesus. Like she's the most like Jesus than any person I know. She's so tenderhearted and I told her first and she was loving, but she was mortified because she thought I was some, someone else. And um, she begged me not to have an abortion. My dad was a godly man, but he kind of sided with me that we wouldn't want anyone in the church to know. We wouldn't want people in our small community to know. And so maybe we should go ahead and go through with this abortion to hide it. My boyfriend was a very new believer, and so he didn't disagree, and then my youth pastor's wife, out of her own pain and hurt, um, came alongside of me as well, and they were the only four people that knew. And there wasn't a place like Life Choices or My Choice Clinic or a crisis pregnancy center to go to in my town. There was no safe haven to run to. My church didn't even feel safe which it should be. The church is supposed to be a safe haven for the broken and the hurting. I think if there would have been a woman like me who would have stood up and shared her story, it would have been implanted in my mind and I would have chosen differently. I would have avoided a tremendous amount of bondage and freedom that the abortion industry does not tell you about. We went to the first clinic in Fort Worth, Texas, so it's about a 30-mile drive from our small town, and went there the first time with my mom and my youth pastor's wife, and there were picketers outside that were just very cruel. They had signs that said, you're going to kill your baby, and just murderer, and just all messages of hate, like not anything that would draw me to them, right? They didn't feel safe, for sure. Um, but my mom, my mom couldn't handle it, and so she made us leave. And um, the only woman that my mom knew of that had had an abortion was someone she was worked with who wasn't a believer at all. And so my mom decided for us to go meet with her. Well, of course, she wasn't a Christian, and to her, even though she was still in a tremendous amount of pain 15 years later, she had convinced herself that it was still the right decision for her, and so it put some kind of like, I guess, blanket of peace, false peace on us that this was the right decision, and we went back a day or so later to the clinic again. And like Brandon said, I'm not going to go into details because I, I just don't believe that's necessary. <laughs> um, 
We can share all the gory things that happen in abortion clinics, but that's not the way Jesus, I don't, it's not the way he shared stories. So I'm not going to do that today, but I will say that I was in a very stale, cold environment. Um, the workers there were just going through the motions. It's what they did multiple times a day, all day long. And there were so many girls. There were so many women in the waiting room waiting to be called out. They actually did an ultrasound on me, um, and I refused to look at it, but but my mom looked at it. I never knew that my choice would affect my mom so much. They took me back into a waiting room with other girls where they gave me pills, and one by one we were called out, and everything was very quick. I know it's not always, every person has a different story, but they took me to a recovery room where really it was a room full of side-by-side beds where girls were just lined up on these beds in recovery. Some were weeping, some were just staring into space, which I was, but no one would look at each other. I was so numb afterwards, and I literally remember walking out of that clinic and being like, God, if you don't let me feel any of this, I will serve you the rest of my days. It's like I flew through out of fleece before God, and, and that's not the way he wants us to respond to him, right? He doesn't want us to knowingly sin and then be like, oh, God, but but that's what I did with him. I was like, God, I'll go home. I'll get rid of all my bad music. Like, and I did. I went home and I purged myself of anything ungodly and I gave some of it to my little sister, which, (laughs) what was I thinking? But I just, we went on. Our, Our home went on like nothing had ever happened. It wasn't spoken about again. It wasn't talked about again. We just went on. Months later, I graduated high school. A few months later, I entered Bible college. And I really started, um, I was sitting in my dorm room one day, and I just felt this wet blanket of shame. Like, Kim, if they knew what you did, if they knew the choice you had made only just months ago, they would kick you out of here. You would be disqualified from ministry. And just overwhelming shame set in. Well, I was a counseling major, and so the thing about being a counseling major is you're kind of forced in a way to go through the counseling process um, by the classes that you take, and, and it was just a God thing for me. The internet had just started, which really ages me, 1996, um, but I found an online Bible study for post-abortive women. I didn't even know such a thing existed. I didn't even know the church ever reached out to women who had had abortions. I only heard them talk really bad about. But God led me to this online post-abortive Bible study, and I ordered the book, and I didn't want my roommate to know, so I would hide the book under all my clothing and my drawers and then would pull it out when she wasn't in the room. I would communicate with a woman that I'd never met over email, and talk with her about what I was learning and experiencing. And then one day I decided to be brave. I really felt the Holy Spirit say to me, Kim, you need to tell someone. 
And so I had made a new best friend. And I remember sitting in my dorm room with her, terrified, and disclosing to her what I had done only a few months prior. And she just wept with me. She didn't shame me. She didn't tell me, oh, we got to go tell the dean. She, she wept with me, and she extended grace. And she said, Kim, I wasn't perfect either. I eventually got brave enough to write a paper on my experience in one of my classes, and that was terrifying because then one of my counseling professors would know but she extended grace to me and encouraged me to start sharing my story. And then my senior year in college, I interned at a church, and God prompted me to share my story with the youth group. And at this time, my parents had started driving my sister to this church. It was about a 45-minute drive, but my sister had started in a cycle of um, pretty severe rebellion and... um, So they started driving her, and my sister didn't know my story. Again, I was the perfect daughter who my parents had put up on a pedestal, and they never really said any different. So she thought I was the perfect sister who she could never live up to. So I knew that if I was going to go through with sharing my story, that my sister would hear my story for the first time, and her world would be shattered of thinking that her older sister was this perfect human. But the youth pastor and his wife gave their blessing, and actually my parents did too, Um, which was a total God thing. I remember my mom sending me flowers from my mom and my dad, and, and with a scripture on it, and I still have the card, and I just remember them saying, Kim, this can't happen to another girl. This can't happen to another family, so go share your story. And I began to really walk into healing and to freedom. And God gave me this passage to hold on to. And it's, of course, one that if you've been in church at any, for any length of time, you've heard it before. And, of course, it's a prophecy about Jesus. But because Jesus lives within us. It's for us, too, and we can claim it as ours. But he gave me Isaiah 61 when I began to start speaking, and it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations." I began to claim this as my own because this is what I began to experience in my own life, the things that Jesus was beginning to do for me, that he was taking my ashes and turning them into something beautiful. He was taking my mourning and turning it into a garment of praise and into an oil of gladness. And now I was called to do the same for other people. And I was called to share that we serve a Jesus that can do this. Thank you. I was only 19. 
when I started sharing my story at different youth ministries and was only two years out from this abortion experience. Um, I got married to my husband, who is God's gift of grace to me as well, in 1999. And we went to Tulsa, Oklahoma to serve on staff at a church, and then I went to grad school at Oral Roberts University. And I volunteered at a crisis pregnancy center um, during grad school. And I really, um, we were youth pastors at the time. So I really felt called at, at appropriate times to share my story with teenage girls. Um, because one, I wanted them to know who they were in Christ. Because if I would have really, I may have been a church girl, but if I would have really known who I was in Christ, I wouldn't have made the decisions that I made. So it was my like calling to tell them who they were in Christ. But the pastor, who I love, I love him, but he was young. We were all so young on our staff, and he just felt it wasn't okay for me to share my story. He, he felt like it wasn't okay for a pastor's wife to have a story. And so I just remember all the shame coming back over me. And I, I stayed silent from publicly speaking about it for seven years. I would, I would share with girls individually if the Lord led, but I refused to say it from a stage or a public arena. And about eight years ago, we were on staff at a church in Oklahoma, and that's where God really called me to women's ministry, where I really felt like this commissioning to do this. And I began... Um, sharing my story publicly again and began leading post-abortive groups within our church, and I named it Beauty for Ashes. You know that we were a smaller church. I mean, you know that my group filled up, like I had a waiting list just from women in our congregation that wanted to go through the group because I shared my story. Women who had been in silence for 40 years, some of them, Five years ago, we moved to Indiana, and um, it was right after we moved here, and we had a nursing professor in our church at the time, and she came to me and she said, Kim, I teach this freshman health class. Would you be willing to come share your story? It's, um, I really would love them to hear from someone who was a virgin until they were married. I was like, well, um, like, again, she just assumed because I'm a pastor's wife that I had the perfect story. I was like, I think maybe I need to tell you my story before I say it in front of your class. <laughs> and so I shared it with her, and she said she still wanted me to come. And can I tell you, I was terrified, because IUP is not a Christian school. <laughs> and I really thought, these kids are going to throw tomatoes at me. Like, they're going to hate me, and they're going to hate my story but they didn't. I've never experienced anything like it where a room full of probably 40 freshmen at IUP had their eyes locked on me. They weren't even on their phones. It's a miracle for me too. I'm right with them. Some of them had tears in their eyes. 
and I just shared the goodness and grace of our God because you know what? This is actually his story and not mine. But I realized while talking in that classroom, the Holy Spirit said to me, Kim, these kids are 18 years old. You aborted your baby 18 years ago. This month, it was the same month. And the Holy Spirit just said, this is your redemption. So I said that to the kids. I said, I'm looking at a room full of faces where my child would be sitting. And I get to bring you hope today. And I get to share with you that you can choose differently and that Jesus loves you. I'm closing up, but I just want to say, if you are a post-abortive woman in this room, which the likelihood that there are women in this room that have had abortions is very strong. It's one in four women in the church as well. Or maybe you're a family member that was affected by someone close to you choosing abortion. You know, I never knew the pain that my mom walked in until she heard me share my story publicly at our women's conference eight years ago. And my mom literally ran to the altar and was wailing. God set her free that day. And I'm so grateful because she held so much responsibility. Can I just say to all of you that Jesus loves scandalously. He doesn't love like we love. He loves like we should love. He loved the people that religious, religious people were even afraid to look at. He loved the people that religious people were whispered about and talked about and threw hate out about. Jesus loved the people that religious leaders tried to shame publicly. And we see this in John 8, 2 through 11. And I'm not going to read the whole um, passage, but basically this is a story of where these religious leaders caught this woman actively in the act of adultery, dragged her out into the street, and, and basically wanted Jesus to punish her. Hey, Jesus, we caught this woman. She was in the act of adultery. She probably didn't even have time to put clothes on. I just want y'all to understand how ashamed this woman must have been. And they wanted to stone her and kill her right then. And what did Jesus do? He, <laughs> he bent down and wrote something in the dirt. There's so much discrepancy, so many different things that scholars say he could have been doing. He could have been writing Jewish law. He could have been writing out their sins in the dirt. But all that we know is what Jesus said is, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he bent down and wrote in the ground again. And one by one, they began to leave. And then I love what Jesus says to her. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. This is what Jesus does to people who mess up. Back then, adultery was worthy of death. 
And Jesus flipped the script and said, I'm going to show you grace and I'm going to show you love, but, but go and live differently. Go and live a godly life. See, Jesus didn't come to this earth to make bad people good. He came to this earth to make dead people alive. And once women are free, once men are free, your responsibility is then to go and be set free, others, to go and tell your story. I can name so many babies that are alive because I shared my story. My cousin's baby, my younger sister's baby, Corbin, no, what's his name? Cash. Corbin's my older nephew, but Cash Ryan, who's 12, like I can look him in the face. And so thankful that I broke my sister's view of perfection, that I could tell her, Melissa, you can do this, and we're going to walk with you as a family. And we did. So church, what is your responsibility? What is our responsibility as the Big C Church? We are to be reconciled reconcilers. We are to be the ones who say, we have all sinned, because I'm sorry, none of you are perfect in this room. <laughs> if you are, please raise your hand. <laughs> You're not going to, because then the person next to you is going to slap you. <laughs> Can we just all admit that apart from Jesus, we all are sinners in need of a savior. Like we've all been rescued from something. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Reconcile means to change, exchange, change from enmity to friendship, to return to favor with, to reconcile those who are at variance with God. It can also mean reestablishment of an interrupted or broken relationship. Church, we are to be reconciled reconcilers. We are to be the ones that go out and bring them in and introducing them to a father who wants to be reconciled to them. It's not your job to shame women. It's not your job to shame anyone. In fact, we need to like get rid of the phrase, shame on you. That is not of God. And I've heard it so much in the church. I heard it from my grandparents growing up when anyone would mess up, shame on them. No, because Jesus never says that. He never says shame on someone. He says shame off of them. There are girls like me who are terrified because they are experiencing an unplanned pregnancy and they are being told that abortion is the easy way. They need the church. There are women sitting in congregations all over America, maybe even serving in, on your staff that have been suffering in silence for years. They need the church. There are women in your community who need to be told they have a hope and their child has a future. They need the church. Women need a safe place. They need a loving place to be able to talk things through, a place that will ultimately lead them into a place of hope and truth. 
And if they so choose abortion, because there are several women who I did share my story with and they still chose, but you know what? They came and and it grieved my heart. But you know, they came back to me months later. Kim, I I didn't listen to you and, and I need your help. And I would sit and I would weep with them and I would walk them through the same grace and the healing and the freedom that I received. So many women turn to sex, drugs, alcohol, food to mask their pain. We need to give them a place where they can be set free. And I will tell you that it's because other Christians came around me and showed me love that I was able to forgive myself and find freedom. I have so many women come to me now, and Kim, I have your story. Like that's usually how they say it. We're the same. And I'll be the first person. I mean, older women in our church that have never, ever told anyone that have come to me, Kim, I, I have your story. Can you walk me through this? Can you help me through this? You know, my, my heart was broken over the news this week of, of the new law in New York. And I was telling Angela before service that, I mean, I I teach at our church, and I teach on a lot more than abortion. And so I I just told, I've told God, like, God, I don't just want to be the abortion speaker. I don't don't want to just only share my story every time. And um, after I spoke at the Life Choices banquet, some doors opened to me to be able to share my story even more. And I just told God again, God, I'll do it, but I, don't, I just don't want that to be my only thing. Like, I don't want to be the crisis pregnancy speaker. Um, <laughs> it's his story, not mine. And then this week when the news came out from New York, I just told God, I'm sorry. I repent. I'll, I'll share it whenever, however, wherever you want me to. Because there are women who need hope. There are women who need, we need the church to rise up to not fight. I mean, there's even fighting within the church. I saw it on social media yesterday. Like some of my friends were just flat out attacked on social media by other Christians. And so can I just say that we as the church have to come together. We have to pray We have to be a safe haven where women can have options and they can have a hope and they can have a future and we can rally around them when they choose life. And so thank you so much for being willing to listen to me today and um, I really am honored to be here and I'll be here at the end of service if any of you would like to speak with me. Um, Let me just pray over you and then I believe there's something that's going to play. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your grace, for your mercy. God, we can't even, we can't even fathom your grace. But God, we, we want to be like you. You're the answer, and we want to be like you, God. Help us to love like you love God, help us to rescue those who need rescued. Help us to reconcile those who need 
reconciled, Father. Help us to forgive those that we're angry with for having abortions. God, help us Help us to see each and every human being through your eyes, Father. And God, I just pray for the women in here who may have been suffering in silence. Jesus, speak to their hearts. Wrap your loving arms around them today and remind them that they have a hope and a future and nothing is impossible with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. Make sure to visit us on our website at www.northmaincog.org where you can learn more about us. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. And if you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that'd be helpful too. If you'd like to donate to the ongoing ministry of North Main, go to www.northmaincog.org and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Again, thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.